0: Thank <laughs> you. Hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you're joining us today, whether you're here on site or online, we are glad that you're with us. And I just looked online and we have with us Ashley and Brenda and Hunter, just to name a few. And already today, we've had people from the state of California, Kansas, Florida, Arkansas, Kentucky, just to name some of the states that are joining us. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online family here today? <clears throat> So glad all of you guys are joining us for worship. And last Sunday, if you weren't here, it was a big Sunday. It was a special day, and I... I remember leaving the parking lot this past weekend after we finished services and just praying, God, thank you that I am part of the First Church family, because God is doing some phenomenal things here, and hopefully you were able to be part of Commitment Sunday last week. And as I think about everything that God is doing in this place, verses come to mind like this one from the book of Psalms, when it says, this is God's work, we rub our eyes and we can hardly believe it. And that's how I feel all the time as I see God continuing to open up more doors for us to do ministry and opportunities for us to serve His kingdom purposes. This is a great and fun place to be. And if you missed out on Commitment Sunday last Sunday, there is still a chance for you to be part of it. You can actually make your commitment still today. We're not going to announce our total commitment numbers until next Sunday. And so you can fill out a commitment card if you want to. Maybe for the very first time. Maybe you're recommitting because one thing about commitment is you got to be intentional about it. So we're. Asking for everybody, even if you committed last fall, to commit, to finish strong this past year, or maybe you're going to make a commitment for the very first time. There are cards in the pews there with you. You can fill one out. Or if you want to scan this QR code, if you're worshiping online, you can do that as well. Go online and fill out an online commitment card. And We would love to have you part of this unstoppable initiative as God continues to use our church to make a difference in the world. And even though next Sunday is going to be a big Sunday because we're going to be celebrating all that God's been doing. I'm excited about today because today we are launching a new series called Reclaimed. And we're going to be talking about how Jesus came to reclaim God's creation and us from the dominion of darkness. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a message that a lot of people need to hear today. If you've ever been to a kid's sporting event, which probably most of you have at some time or another, you know that it can be kind of crazy and chaotic at times. It can be pretty comical too. Whether it's little kids T-ball or Little League Baseball or uh, maybe uh, basketball, soccer, whatever, football, you name it. Maybe if you've been to your daughter or granddaughters like cheer uh, competition or dance recital or whatever, you know it can be pretty comical. And I came across this video the other day of a T-ball game and honestly, this is pretty typical of what. What you see at most T-Ball games. Take a look. Now, we laugh at that, but you know, If if we're being honest, that barely resembles what real baseball looks like. I mean, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy, kind of chaotic. They're not really following the real rules. So why is it that we put our kids through that? Why is it that we have kids play sports at that age? Why is it that we as parents volunteer to coach or sign our kids up to be on a team? It's because we know that everyone starts somewhere, right? you got to start somewhere, And we want our kids to understand the fundamentals of the game. We want our kids to put those fundamentals into practice because you've got to learn the game before you can actually play it. And that's why we sign up our kids to play sports or different activities from a very, very young age. But here's the thing. It's not just that everyone starts somewhere, but we also know that where you start matters. Why is it that we want our kids to be on a good team? And I don't mean just a good team in the sense that they win, but a team that's gonna actually teach them the sport properly or that gets them excited about the sport. You don't want them to have a coach that's going to discourage them from playing or get them frustrated. You don't want somebody to teach them the wrong rules or whatever or the wrong way to play a game, right? Why is it that you want your kid to be on a good team with a good coach? Why do some of you parents volunteer to coach? Step in because you know that where you start matters. You want for your child to be properly trained, to know the rules, and to know how to put what they're learning into practice. And here's the thing, that's not just true about sports. It's also true in many different areas of life. And it's especially true when it comes to our spiritual lives, our spiritual development as well. Where you start matters. Hang on to that and we'll come back to it here in just a second. In 1 Peter, there's this really interesting statement, and in 1 Peter one eighteen, the Bible says this, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life. If you would say those two words in green with me, to save you from the what? Empty life. Oh, we can do better than that. To save you from the empty life. There you go. You guys are awake. God sp- sent Jesus to be a ransom for our sins so that we could be saved, so that we could be rescued, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be reclaimed from the empty life, the broken life, the incomplete life, the unfulfilled life, the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors, the life that has been passed down to you from this world, from the culture around us. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. What's this passage telling us? That the life that we're now living, the life that's been passed down to us from our culture the life that we have inherited from the world around us, that life as defined by the world is not the life that God originally intended us to live. It's not the life that God designed us to live. See, life as the world knows it now has been corrupted by this thing called sin. See, God created us as his children made in his image to live out a perfect purpose. He gave us a perfect purpose, an eternal purpose that would give us lasting joy, lasting satisfaction, lasting contentment, lasting peace. And God said, when you do life my way, when you live out the purpose that I gave you, you will live a full, whole, complete life. And even though that's what God offered us, somewhere along the way, we decided we knew about we knew more about life than God. Somewhere along the way, we decided that we had a better plan for our lives than God. And in so doing, it left us in a state of brokenness, incompleteness. It left us in a state of emptiness. Reminds me a little bit of This video I saw the other day of a little boy who decided to turn his dinner plate into an instrument and his mom or somebody was filming it and take a look at what happened. Whoopsie-daisy. I love his face at the end. He knew he was in trouble. I don't know who was filming it, his mom or sister or somebody, but somebody should have told that little kid, that's not the purpose of a plate. A plate is not supposed to be an instrument. You could tell from the very beginning, that wasn't going to end well, right? A little kid using a plate as an instrument, that wasn't going to end well. Because a plate does have a purpose, believe it or not. A plate has, I think, a really, really good purpose, Can I get an amen on that? Anybody like to eat? You know, all right. First time that guy over there ever amen me. All right, yeah. Uh, A plate has a pretty good purpose, right? If it's used properly. Put food on it, it's used at a meal, good purpose. It's not supposed to be an instrument. It's not supposed to be used for something else. And This is kind of an illustration of our lives. God gave us life. He said, it's good. It's a good thing. If you use your life for what I intended it for, then You will serve your purpose and you will be fulfilled and satisfied and attend and have peace and joy and all those things. But we decided that we wanted to use our lives for something else. We decided that where God had placed us was not where we wanted to be. We decided that we knew better than God. And the result... this, the life that God gave us was left in pieces. We were left brokey, broken, incomplete, empty. And here's the thing, we've all been there before. And maybe this describes where you are right now in life. But here's the good news, God didn't want us to stay there. Now, God warns us that life apart from Him falls apart. And if you're taking notes, that's a good thing to write down. Life lived apart from God always falls apart. And that's why so many of us are in this state. But even though we chose this, God didn't want to leave us there. God didn't want for our lives to remain broken. God didn't want for us to be stuck in our emptiness. And that's why... That's why we get promises in Scripture that God came to reclaim our brokenness. See, we thought something else would satisfy us. We thought that I don't know, something that this world offers would satisfy us and make us complete. That that was the true secret to happiness. And so we chase after things like status or sex or popularity or money or possessions, or maybe we chased after certain people. We chased after what this world had to offer, thinking that once we got those things, then we would be happy. In fact, our mindset was, if I just had blank, then I'd be happy. If I just had that new house, then I'd be happy. If I just got that new car, then I'd be happy. If I just could get that one job, then I'd be happy. If I could just marry that perfect person, then I'd be happy. If I could just have perfect health, then I'd be happy. If I could just have security in life or comfort in life, you name it, then I'd be happy. And we thought that once we got whatever it is that we put in that blank, that then we would be happy. And maybe we did get some happiness for a while because some of us got exactly what we wanted in that blank. And it did make us happy for a little bit, for a little while. But the happiness didn't last. The happiness eventually faded away because those things were not what were intended to ever eternally make us Happy. I call this the Happy Mill Toy Syndrome and my kids, you know, years ago, they really wanted Happy Meals all the time. If you ever asked them what they wanted to eat, they would say they wanted a Happy Meal, and the reason why they wanted a Happy Meal was not because the food was that great. I mean, they would eat the food, but the reason why they wanted a Happy Meal is because of the toy, and so they would see that it was advertised for some, you know, toy, and they would want it. They want all of them. They want to collect them all because that's what the commercials told you to do, collect them all, you know, and they would want all of them, and so we would go to McDonald's, and we would get a Happy Mill, and they would get their toy, and they would open it up out of this little wrapper, and they would get all excited, and then you know where I would find that toy like a day later? <laughs> On the floorboard of the back seat of my car, you know? They didn't care about it anymore. We have a whole box in our closet at home full of old Happy Mill toys that my kids had to have, and yet they haven't played with them in years. See, the problem with the Happy Mill is that the happiness eventually wears off. No kid has ever been made eternally happy, <laughs> has experienced lasting happiness because of a Happy Mill toy. And we can laugh at that, but we as adults really aren't that different. It's just our Happy meal toys cost a lot more. And we thought if we could just get this or that, then we would be happy, then we would be satisfied, then we would feel complete, then we would have joy. And maybe we got some of those things for a while, but the happiness eventually wore off. And if that's where you are right now today, I've got good news for you. Because the Bible promises this the Bible says that God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds if you chase after the wrong God, if you chase after the wrong desire and it just left you feeling broken, it just left you hurting, it just left you feeling empty, I've got good news for you. Jesus came in order to reclaim your life. Jesus came so that he could heal your wounds, so that he could put your life back together again, so that he could fill the void that exists in your soul and your heart. Jesus came so that you wouldn't have to stay in your brokenness anymore. So if you feel brokenhearted today, if you feel wounded today, if you feel hurt today, if you feel empty today, Jesus came for you. I don't know if you've ever heard of this um, piece of art known as kintsugi, but it's a Japanese process of restoring pieces of ceramics. And so what they do is they take a like a pot or a bowl or a vase or whatever that somebody has broken, and then they piece it back together. And these are pieces that most people would just throw away, would just pitch out, put in the trash. But this kintsugi art form is to save whatever the piece of pottery or dish is. And so you put it back together using gold filling or silver filling, expensive filling, and the end result is this kintsugi dish or piece of pottery, whatever, is worth more than the original. If you've studied this, you know that these pieces of pottery are worth a whole lot of money. They're worth more put back together than what they were beforehand. And I think that's such an illustration of the gospel It's such an illustration of what God came to do for us. Jesus saw us in our brokenness, and he refused to let us stay there. And that's why Isaiah tells us this. Isaiah says that he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness. And if your heart feels heavy today, if you are mourning today, if you feel like that your life is in ashes and in pieces today, in the hands of the only one who can restore all things, your life can be put back together again. See, we're a Kintsugi kind of church. We are. Because we're a place full of broken people. Every one of us listening to this message today has been broken by sin. But the difference between us And the rest of the world is that we are those who've been put back together by the hands of the master. And because we've been put back together, we know our true value and worth. And so let me ask you, are you ready to let Jesus reclaim you from your brokenness? Because that's what Jesus came to do, to reclaim your life. And maybe, maybe what you need to hear are some of the promises in Scripture, like this one right here, when it says, when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. I want you to notice this. Notice the tense here. A new life has begun. A lot of times when we think about new life, what we think about is life after death. You know, many people become Christians because they want fire insurance. You know, they want to get their get into heaven free card. That's why they start following Jesus. But I want you to notice what this says. The new life that Jesus offers is not something that we just get after we die. It begins now. Now we can start really living. Living like we've never lived before. Now we can live with lasting peace and lasting contentment and lasting joy. Now we can live, as Jesus says, life to the fullest. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I came to give life, life in all of its fullness. Jesus doesn't want us living an empty existence anymore. He wants us living life to the full, and that doesn't mean life's gonna be easy. It doesn't mean we're gonna get everything we want. It doesn't mean that we're not so gonna be tempted by sin or anything like that, but it means that we can actually live with peace that is outside of this world, purpose that is beyond anything this world has to offer. We can live with that purpose, that peace, that satisfaction that no storm can ever take away. That's what we're promised. And Jesus came to show us how to live that very life. See, that's why when we look in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which actually describe the or tell the life of Jesus... This is what we find when we break it down. There are five chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that mention Jesus' birth, which is kind of a big deal, right? Jesus' birth. I mean, we're just, what, like nine weeks away from Christmas? I mean, Christmas is a big deal to us. I know it's hard to believe, right? Christmas is a big deal, right? We have a whole holiday about it, and we should celebrate the birth of Jesus. But only five chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about the birth of Jesus. Thirteen chapters mention Jesus' arrest, death, and resurrection, You know, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every single Sunday here when we come and we take of the Lord's Supper, but we have a special holiday just for that too, right? Easter, that's a pretty big deal in the life of the church. And yet there's only 13 chapters that mention Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But there are 71 chapters that record his life and his teachings. Why so much attention to his life and teachings See, God didn't give us all that information because he just wanted us to focus on the birth and then the end of Jesus' earthly life. He wanted us to focus on how to live because that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is showing us what life really looks like. And when Jesus comes to us and says, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, what he's saying is, this is how you live for the standards of heaven. This is how you live the full life, the complete life. He's teaching us how to live the new life now. And by following his example, by following his way of life, we can live like we've never lived before. In true wholeness, true completeness. See, when Paul says this, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, what Paul is telling us is darkness doesn't have to have claim over your life anymore. Brokenness doesn't have to have claim over your life anymore. Emptiness doesn't have to have claim over your life anymore. You don't have to live for the dominion of darkness. And maybe what some of you guys need to do today is you need to look at your life and you need to declare, Satan, you've had me long enough. Darkness, you've had me long enough. Emptiness, you've had me long enough. Brokenness, you've had me long enough. Jesus has reclaimed my life and he has given me a new purpose. And if that's what you need to say today, Jesus is giving us the invitation, all of us, to do just that. And yet, how often, even though we know intellectually that we've been set free from the dominion of darkness, we still live like we're slaves to darkness. We still live enslaved to our brokenness, to our past, to our emptiness. So, how is it that we start living this reclaimed life, this new life that Jesus tells us we can live? Well, just liking Jesus won't do it. See, liking Jesus won't lead to a satisfied life. Living like him will. There's a lot of people who like Jesus. Have you ever gone through social media and you just start liking things and you really don't even read it, don't even pay attention, but you know, you just start liking things because it's a friend of yours that posted or whatever. A lot of people like Jesus, they agree with Jesus, they're okay with Jesus that's not gonna lead you to live a satisfied life. Living like him, actually putting into practice living his way of life, is what leads to a satisfied life. And that's the very point that Jesus is going to make in Matthew chapter seven. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to study for the rest of our time. In Matthew chapter seven, we're gonna look at the very end of probably the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. It was a, one of the first sermons we have recorded of Jesus in scripture. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew's Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. And in this famous sermon, Jesus gives us examples of kingdom living. He tells us what it means to live on earth by the standards of heaven. In fact, at one point in In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us to pray this. He says, your kingdom come, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why does Jesus tell us to pray for this? Because what we're supposed to be asking for is for God's standards to be lived out through us, for heaven to come to earth through our daily living. That's why we often say here at First Church that we are a place where the joy of heaven meets the sadness of earth. We are supposed to be living as citizens of heaven while we are still on the earth. And so the whole Sermon on the Mount and that matter, all of Jesus' teachings are showing us what heavenly citizenship looks like, showing us. How citizens of heaven are supposed to live. And so what Jesus does in this sermon is he goes through and talks about a whole lot of practical stuff. Like he talks about worry and he talks about greed and he talks about lust and he talks about marriage and divorce. And he talks about how to deal with your money and prayer. He talks about all this practical stuff about how to live by the standards of heaven. And then he wraps all this practical teaching up with a parable. Now, if you've been in church at all, you know what a parable is. A parable was a story that Jesus would tell that had familiar language that his audience would recognize, but then he would reveal a truth that wasn't familiar to them. Sometimes people say that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I once heard somebody explain a parable's purpose like this. A parable is something that it starts off... Like a picture, a picture you have hanging on your wall, and you look at the picture and you see something familiar in it, like you see a mountain or maybe you see a river or you see a cabin in the woods or something. You see in this picture something that you recognize, something that looks familiar to you. But then as you stare at the picture a little bit longer, as you dive more into the parable, the picture then transforms into a mirror and you start to see yourself in it. And then once you see yourself in the parable, in the teaching, The mirror then transforms to a window, and the window opens up for you to see God's vision for the world. That's how a parable works. Starts with something familiar, then you see yourself in it, and then you're opened up to God's plan, God's vision for the world. And we're gonna be looking at different parables in this series, Reclaimed, because Jesus is teaching us how to see life through God's eyes, and today we're gonna start with one of the very first parables that Jesus ever told. And this is what he says. Therefore, after he finishes this big sermon, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's important, puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet, it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on, The rock, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Key phrase here is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, what Jesus here is doing is he's making a comparison. A comparison between a wise guy, um, I said that wrong, no, a, a guy who had wisdom, sorry, a man who had wisdom, not a wise guy, and a foolish guy, okay? He's making this comparison. And the man who has wisdom, well, he builds his house on a solid foundation, on rock. The foolish man builds his house on sand. And so when the storm comes, the man who built his house on the sand, his house falls in a great crash. But the man who built his house on the rock, his house is able to withstand the storm. And Jesus here is using this analogy in order to talk about our lives. But I want you to notice what the emphasis is here. What was the theme? What were the, that was a like key phrase that I kept pointing out just a second ago. He who hears my words and puts them into what? Practice. The whole point, the main theme of this parable is putting what Jesus taught into practice. See, Jesus isn't calling us to listen and like what he says. He's calling us to listen and live what he says. When I was young in church and I would hear this parable of the wise and foolish builders, you know, there used to be that children's church song we would sing The wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay, I'm not gonna sing it, but anyway, there was this song in children's church we would sing. I always pictured the wise man as, you know, these Christian people who were trying to live for God, whatever, and then the foolish man, well, that represented all the evil, wicked, dark people out in the world. But that's not necessarily what Jesus is saying. I mean, you can divide the world like that, but it's more than that. See, notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, the foolish man is the one who also hears my words, who listens to me, who agrees with me, but does nothing with it, who doesn't put it into practice. The foolish man is the guy who says, yeah, I agree with that, Jesus. That's good stuff. Yeah, amen. Yeah, preach on, brother. But then turns around and does nothing with it. And how often is this us? You see, a strong spiritual life isn't something that we fall into. It's something we choose. And what Jesus here is saying is, it's not enough just to like what I'm saying and agree with what I'm saying. It's not enough just to accept me in your mind. You've actually got to live it out. And it's only when you live it out that you will then build a life that lasts. Because any other type of life that isn't following my way of life is built on a crumbling foundation. See, Jesus isn't telling us we have to be perfect here in following his way of life. But he's saying our goal has to be to actually live life as he defines it. To actually live out his plan. Because here's the thing. We're all building our lives on something you may not think about it like this, but we are. There is something at the foundational level of our lives that is motivating us and driving us. And Jesus tells us, really, we only have two options. You either build your life on me or you build your life on something else, something that this culture has to offer. And sometimes we like to act like there's a third option, like we got the really you know, good, radical Christians over here, and then we've got the really evil, bad people over here, and we're somewhere in the middle. Jesus says there is no third option. It's either those who are building their life on me or those who are building their life on something else that this culture has, that the culture has to offer. And Jesus is asking us, what are you building your life on? Because where you build matters. Where you build matters because storms don't discriminate. And a storm will reveal where your hope really lies. Storms come upon us all. Did you notice in the text here? There were two men. There were two foundations. There were two houses, but there was one storm. Storms come upon us all. And I know there are some preachers who will say that if you live a good, godly life, then you won't experience the storms that other people experience. The Bible never teaches that. And that may not make me a popular preacher, but it's what God's word says. Storms come upon us all in this life. But the difference is those who build their life on the solid rock are those who are able to withstand the storm. You see, you may not be able to predict the strength of the storm, or even stop the storm from coming, but you can have confidence in the strength of your foundation. And the way that you know that you have a strong foundation is by making sure that you put Jesus' words into practice. See guys, I don't care how many Bible verses you know. If you're not putting those words into practice, you're building your life on a shaky foundation. And, guys, I know preachers, and I can talk about preachers because I am one. I know preachers (laughs) who know the Bible really, really well, intellectually speaking. But they will treat a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant like garbage, they will treat their family like garbage or they will be prideful or arrogant, or they will never serve anybody else, but they know the Bible really well. And what Jesus here is saying is that doesn't matter. You see, wisdom is the difference between knowing and doing. It's not enough just to know what's right. The wise person is the one who puts it into practice. And that's where we have to start if we want to build a life that lasts. I said earlier, where you start matters. Because if your mindset when it comes to following Jesus is, I just want to get into heaven free card. I just want fire insurance. If your mindset is, I can earn my way to heaven. If your mindset is, I just want to use Jesus in order to get what I want out of him then you're building on the wrong foundation and your life will soon come crashing down like a house of cards. See, we're tempted sometimes to use Jesus to get out of him what we want, but we never actually choose his way of life and there's a difference. It's not enough just to know what's right. You've got to choose to live out his way of life. It's a difference between building your house on the rock and building your house on the sand. And everybody who was listening to this sermon in the first century world when Jesus first spoke it, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about because they lived in the Middle East and there was sand everywhere There wasn't just sand everywhere, there was sun everywhere. And so what would happen over time is the sun and these these extreme temperatures would bake this sand. And the sand would become solid and firm and people would build a house upon that baked sand. And here's the thing, those homes could last for years until a really, really bad stormy season came. And then they paid for it. See, the more expensive thing to do, the more time-consuming thing to do was to dig down deep beneath the sand and hit bedrock and build your life on the rock. That's why Jesus says, and Luke records this, that the wise man is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock when a flood came. The torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. And I think what Jesus is telling us is some of us need to tear down the houses that we've built. See, Jesus was a carpenter, he built houses, and he probably saw person after person make the mistake of building their house on sand. And he knew one day it was going to come back to haunt him. One day he's going to come back to haunt those people who had built their house on a shaky foundation. But we all know Jesus really isn't talking about houses or building structures. He's talking about our lives. He's looking at us. He's saying, listen, I'm looking at your life, this house that you built, and it's a nice house. It's pretty. And on the outside, everybody thinks, man, what a big house. What a nice house. What a gorgeous house. It looks great on the outside. But Jesus says, I see your foundation. And I know it's only a matter of time before the storm comes. And your life is going to be revealed for what it really is. See, we like, to, we like to project an image that we're not at times. We're experts at image management. The other day I saw an article about a guy who wanted abs... And so instead of actually working out, he did this. He uh, tattooed abs on his stomach. That's not a shirt, that's a tattoo, okay? He tattooed abs on his stomach. Uh, Don't get any ideas. I don't think this is going to impress anybody, okay? Honestly, but that's what he did. He tattooed abs, because he wanted to look, but he didn't want to put in the work. And so oftentimes, we like to make ourselves look like something that we're not. If you don't believe me, get on social media. We like to project a certain image. But Jesus sees through that. And Jesus isn't jumping on us. He's worried about us. Because he knows a storm is coming. And when the storm comes, he wants you to have a life that lasts. He wants you to have a life that is strong and firm and is able to Fight against the darkness that's all around you. See, in order for Jesus to elevate our lives, we may have to do some excavation. We may have to tear down what we've built for ourselves and dig down deep, beyond the surface, beyond the superficial, and actually do this right. And here's the thing. If you've been building on the wrong foundation, there's good news for you. Because Jesus says you can start fresh today. Today, you can tear down what you've been building, and you can start on the solid rock today. And from this day forward, you can know that you're building a life that lasts, a life, a life that is able to withstand the storms, a life that is built up by God. See, what you build is impacted by where you start. And do you need a fresh start today? Because I think all of us at some time or another have been here and none of us have to stay here. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today. In this moment, we've had to open up your word and I just pray, Father, that we will not be those who build our lives on a shaky foundation. But we will be those who dig down deep, beyond the surface, beyond superficiality, that we will be a people who will build our lives on your son. And in so doing, you will build up a life that lasts. Father, we just pray that together, we will be those who show the world what really living looks like, life that is found in your son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.